All right. No, I'm not speaking tonight, so you're lucky. Saved. Um, I have the privilege of introducing our speaker tonight. Um, raise your hand if you've ever been to Myanmar. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Burundi. Congo. Few. There's a few. Hama Bay. Raise your hand if you could find it on a map. I couldn't. And I've known this man for a long time who's been there and talked about it for 13 years of my life that I've known him. I couldn't find it on a map. He's been there. That is, it's like, it's a world that we don't even know. We don't even know. Yet, that's where, oh, is my picture up there? Oh, man, I'm going to get to that. That's who Stephen is. So, um, I get the privilege of introducing him. I've known Mr. Stephen McKay um, of Vessel of Honor Ministries, and as a church, we have supported them since really the beginning here. Um, he's been one of our dedicated missionary partners. And I like to, you know, I've introduced him before at another when we did some work at their place. Um, but to be able to introduce and say, hey, no, maybe you guys don't know him, but you know me. Not that you trust me, but you know me. And when you get a warm introduction from somebody like, I've heard this man's stories. I've heard his testimony. I've heard all that he has done, all that he has seen, and I believe every single word of it. Miracles. Things he has seen that I cannot explain, understand, fathom. It's so far removed from us here in East Tennessee. Yet he sees it. He lives it. He has ministries, orphanages in those countries, in Myanmar and Africa. He told me just at dinner now, two six-month-old twins that just got brought into the orphanage because through the Lord, but through what, what he's been able to do. Um, and he's no, no way in any shape would he ever clap on his back for that. But he is who he says he is. And just, I want you all to know when you listen to him tonight, the thing that I love about him, you leave a conversation with him, you can't help but feel uplifted. You can't help but feel, man, he, he, he spent time with the Lord. Um, a verse that came up in our life group uh, this past Sunday night, I told Tara, back up, my wife, Tara, has been best friends with Jess since, like, fourth grade, so a long time. I knew Stephen because of marriage, that, that kind of deal. But I asked Tara, I said, this is, this is what I see of Stephen. This verse in Acts 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, after Jesus' death and resurrection, after Pentecost, talking about Peter. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. No, I'm not calling you uneducated or common. I'm calling him bold. I'm calling him bold because his boldness has taken him to the entire world spreading the gospel, to a place like that that would scare me to death. That, that's where he has been more often than not. And that is the joy that he has any conversation you ever have with him. The end of that says, they recognize that they had been with Jesus. That's because he's been with Jesus. That's because day in and day out, he spends time with Jesus. His boldness, who he is, I just want you all to know that, man, everything he says is just, it's amazing. The stories, what he has, what he does, and the missions, his boots on the ground operations, here and across the world, impact lives for Christ every single day. Cue the video, Stephen McKay.
steal one of these waters. What a great honor and a privilege it is to be at Grace Meadows tonight. Uh, this is um, uh, just an honor, it really is, um, to stand before a body of people that have supported the work for so many years. Matt, I'm, um, I'm humbled, you know, <laughs> by all the words that you said. Um, that has been, what the video we just showed has been the, uh, the, the, the cry of my heart since I was a young man, is God, the, the world is in such great need of the gospel. And um, I want to go, you know, I, I just want to make a difference in the world. And so as we get into this tonight, uh, I'm going to just share a few things with you, and then I'm going to explain some things about the, min the ministry that you guys have supported uh, really since the inception of Grace Meadows. And I'm indebted to you. This church has been such a tremendous support of everything that we do overseas, uh, everything we do in the country, wherever we are, Grace Meadows has a hand in it. And I would not be here if it was not for your sacrifice and your love and um, you, just your dedication to give. But tonight, as we get into this, um, I want to begin with Mark chapter 16. It's that uh, part of the Word of God that we all should have memorized by now, and that is the Great Commission. And I, I want to ask us a question as we begin Mark chapter 16. Uh, and we're going to begin reading at verses number 14. I just want to ask us a question at the end, at the, you know, after we get through this. Um, Mark 16 and verses number 14. And I'm going to read it from the screen or I'll read it from, yeah, here we go. And afterward he appeared to the 11. Uh, and I can't really see all that over here. Okay, afterward he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief. And the hardness of their heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And so this is the, the disciples. Christ comes to them and rebukes them. You know, other people saw me after I rose from the dead, but you didn't believe? Of all the people that were supposed to believe, you didn't believe? Next verse. And then it says, and he go, it said unto them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And whosoever believes or whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. They shall speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents and, uh, with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I think. So then, when th so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out preaching and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And the question that I want to bring to us tonight as we get into this just study is where are we in terms of the Great Commission? It's 2022, right? Man, I thought we'd be flying in airplanes or fly, having, you know, uh, our cars would be flying by now. You know, like the Jetsons, you know what I'm talking about? I really thought we would be uh, so far advanced. But, but what about the gospel? Is the gospel, has it reached the ends of the earth? 
Has it gone into the highways and byways? Has this generation taken the gospel into the far reaches of the earth? And we can say that, yes, you know, there's been a great effort. There's been a great push towards the gospel. But truthfully, half of the earth's population has never heard the gospel story. Think about that. Half of the earth. And I'm just going to share some statistics with you tonight and then get into what we do. And I better set a timer because if I don't, I'll be here all night. I've been known to uh, be someone that has been given too much wind and words. So I'm going to just throw something on here. Um, uh, normally we're out by eight, right? Is that right? Something like that. We're good. Everybody good? Amen. I, I want to just share this, these mission statistics with you because when I first heard them, it completely changed my life. Absolutely, totally rewrote my whole story. Uh, the worldwide population tonight sits at right about 7.9 billion. And out of those billions of people that are on the earth spread across all of the continents, uh, we can divide all of those people into different subgroups or subcategories. And so there are, there's a total of 17,432 different people groups on the earth. I used to live in the nation of Papua New Guinea. Anywhere, no, anybody know where Papua New Guinea is at? It's a little island nation above the nation of Australia. That nation alone, they speak over 813 languages. One little island of 6 million people. It's like the state of Tennessee, all of us speaking 800 languages. So out of all of the people in the world, they're subcategorized by language, by ethnicity, by race, by culture. All right, But we can take that number... Follow me here. We can take that number and subdivide them into three groups. Y'all ready? You ain't ready. Let's go. First group is the unreached peoples. Everybody say unreached. The unreached people, peoples of the world equal 3.28 billion people. Stephen, what are you talking about? What is an unreached person? Who what, Unreached people groups, you know, what is that? And uh, The unreached peoples are people that have a less than 2% evangelical witness. I, I didn't say less than 2% of the population has a church to attend. I said less than 2% of the people have ever heard of the name of Jesus. And they are a minority worldview. So, you know, I'm talking about places like Egypt or, you know, the 1040 window. Where you have so many nations in there that have never heard the gospel. It's oppressed and suppressed by Islam. Or you go into the heart of Asia where we have orphanages and it's Buddhism. And they've never heard. They've never heard the story of Jesus ever. Bangladesh, you go into those nations. So we have unreached people groups. The unreached peoples. The second one is unevangelized. Everybody say unevangelized. The unevangelized people, are, they make up around 8 point, or eight, sorry, 819 million people. That's a greater than 2% witness. So greater than 2% of their population have heard of Christ Maybe they have some churches, but they're still, you know, a minority worldview. Christianity is not the, um, the predominant worldview in that part of the world. They have churches, but they've yet to be evangelized. And then the last people group I'll tell you about is the reached peoples. Everybody say reached peoples. The reached peoples total 3.74 billion. And I'm talking about a people that have a greater than 2% evangelical witness. Greater than 2%. And Christianity is the majority worldview. I'm talking about the United States of America. You go anywhere in the U.S. and you'll find a church somewhere. Somebody's heard of Jesus. Somebody's heard of the gospel. You go to the nation where I'm from. I'm Canadian at birth. I, I became a U.S. citizen. Thank God. Um, in 2019. 
And, uh, you know, you go to Canada, and Canada's becoming ever more increasingly pagan. You know, it's just, you know, going that way. You go to Australia or New Zealand or, you know, what used to be in England, a lot of Europe, European countries, predominantly Christian. There's a lot of churches, a lot of the, the testimony of Christ. So now I want to just deal with us tonight, Christians in the world, okay? The total number of Christians in the world, there's evangelical Christians, there's 400 million. Now I'm going to stop boring you with all these statistics, I'm going somewhere. 400 million evangelical Christians, there's 600 million Protestant Christians in the world, okay? I'm not including the Catholics in this, Protestant Christians. Hear me very closely. There are 4.19 million, say that with me, 4.19 million full-time Christian workers in our world. That's pastors, evangelists, missionaries. That's full-time people in ministry, just like myself. Full-time, 4.19 million full-time Christian workers. Hear me now. 95% of everyone that's in ministry works in the already reached world. 95% of people that are called to proclaim the gospel stay home. And I'm thankful for pastors. We need pastors, amen? Right? We need faithful men. Giving the, the, the gospel committed and trust to faithful men to proclaim the truth. But what about the rest of the world? There's only 5% of us wackos that are willing to go out, you know? 5% of us that are willing to leave all of this. And, and Matt, you know, it's, it's interesting because what you think is scary, I'm just like, bring it on, you know. <laughs> I can't, I, it just, just, you know, it's just my calling. But there's only 5% are willing to go into the world that have never heard the gospel. Think about this. I'm going to talk about money for a little while, just for a moment. I know it's a curse word in churches, but I'm going to talk about it. You ready? What evangelicals earn. All of us, corporately, every Christian, regardless of title, of what church you go to, all of the money combined that we make annually, you ready for this? This, is good. this blew my mind. All of the money that we make annually together is $53 trillion we make as Christians. And then each year, what is given to Christian causes, people give out of their pocket, they put it in tithe, they put it in missions, they put it, they put it in the church. What is given to Christian causes is forty, or, sorry, is is uh, eight hundred ninety-six billion. So if you do the math, we're not even paying our tithes, okay? Eight hundred ninety-six billion. We spend. Think about this: eight hundred ninety-six billion dollars, and you all, we all, ooh and all, over that amount of money. I'm sure every one of you would like to, you know, just touch it for just a moment. Eight hundred ninety-six billion. But do you know that in the United States of America, we spend that amount of money one day? One event every year where we go out and we buy stuff for people that we don't even really know, trying to impress people we don't even really like. It's called Christmas. We spend $896 billion on Christmas. And that's what's given to, to the church every year. Statistically, we have given every year, the American population buy, spends more on um, uh, costumes for their pets than we give to the church. And so, as we get into this, think about this. 52 billion out of that 53 trillion is given to missions. So part of what you give goes towards missions. 880 million is given to unreached people groups, okay? 880 million dollars every year is given to unreached people groups. 
I'm going to just put this in, in layman's terms. In 2001, only 1% of giving to missions went to reach the people that have never heard the gospel. 1%. Layman's terms, for every $100,000 that you and I make, $100,000 that we put in our pocket, statistically we give $1.70 to reach the unreached. And we ask the question, why? Why is the gospel not all over the earth? Why, why has China not received truth? What about Egypt and Tunisia and Libya and Syria? What about these nations that are, are completely Islamic and they've never heard the truth? That picture you saw of me looking like a weirdo, you know? That was in the nation of Congo, not the Republic of Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, the one that's controlled by the Congolese rebels. And I went in to Congo in 2000, 2018. I'd go back tomorrow if they would open up the doors because COVID shut everything down. And I went in, that's, that city is called Kanyaboyanga. The whole town is, not town, the city's run off of generators. There's no power that goes up there. It's all run off of generators. And I, I stood there on that platform for a solid week and I preached every single night and 10,000 people stood at my feet because they'd never heard the gospel. And they told me, my crusade director, David Matabaro, told me, Stephen, if you just come back and you drive, that was eight hours from the border of Uganda. We had to leave. If anybody's ever been to Uganda, you fly into Entebbe. This is my world. You fly into Entebbe, you get on the road, and you drive eight hours from Entebbe up to Kesoro, which is the border of Uganda and Congo. I spent the night in a hotel that I paid $10, and it wasn't worth three. And uh, got up the next morning, crossed the border crossing into Bunagana, and the U Ugandan man at the customs looked at me. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Congo. He said, have you ever been there? I said, no. He said, please be very careful. Please be careful. It's, it's dangerous, very dangerous. You know, it's unstable. And I said, have you ever been there? And he said, no, and I'm not going. <laughs> it's comforting. You know? <laughs> and so we drove from the border city of Bunagana all the way to Kiwanja and Kiwanja to Kanyaboyanga. Say that ten times fast. We got into Kanyaboyanga and preached and thousands and thousands met me and thousands and thousands gave their life to Jesus. And they told me, if you just come back to Kiwanja or get back to Kanyaboyanga and go another eight hours in, they will stand here by the 20 and 30,000 because they've never heard the gospel. And yet every day we sit and we hear, we take for granted the name of Jesus. We, there's just our whole worldview and I, I, I'd look at that verse in Mark 16 where he says, and those that believe shall be saved, and those that do not believe will be condemned. But whose responsibility is it? Who, whose responsibility is it? Is it God? Is God going to drop angels off in the middle of the jungle to preach the gospel? No, no, he called us, right? He called you and I to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He uses men, as I said in that, that video I, we just showed, that the calling of God is upon you and I to go. Now, you might not want to go to Congo, but I do. <laughs> send me. And you do send me, and I'm grateful for that. Hypothetically, the church has roughly 3,000 times the resource and 9,000 times the manpower to complete the Great Commission. That's incredible. We have 3,000 times the resource, 
9,000 times the manpower to finish the Great Commission. It says in Ephesians chapter 12, verses 2, this is King James, I'll just read it. Remember that you were, that, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. I've met men like this. I've met people all over the earth that have no hope. They have no understanding of truth. I'll never forget leaving Cairo, Egypt, coming home. I preached a missions conference in Egypt, which is not lawful, but we do it anyways. Praise God. We say, go. So we go. And we were preaching a missions conference. And I got on the airplane in Cairo, and I, I, I boarded the backside of this plane. It was just really strange. I boarded the back. You know, they loaded us the backside, the tail, and we had to go all the way up. And I was like three or four seats from the back. I'm sitting there, I'm exhausted, had preached a missions conference in Egypt, and uh, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, Lord, there was a seat between me and the other guy, you know what I'm saying? I was like, Lord, please, let this seat remain open, you know? Please, you just, it's eight hours to Amsterdam, I'd like to stretch out a little bit, please. And uh, the Lord said, yeah, I'll show you. So I, I, I sat there for a minute and I heard this woman come on the back of the airplane, and I'm telling you, she, every curse word that she knew, she was flying it, she was just... Mm. You know, on the phone. And I was like, Lord, please. Sure enough, she stopped beside my seat. She said, I'm there. And I said, I know. <laughs> and so she came. She sat down. And I was like, oh. And she was just given whoever was on the other side of this phone. She was just giving it to him, you know. And I was like, so I just kind of put my mask on. And a, about 40 minutes after takeoff, I took my mask off. And I could tell she was distraught. I introduced myself. And um, we started talking. Long story short, the person that she was talking to was uh, a relationship with a man she had in, in Cairo. And uh, just, you know, went completely south. And, and, and she began to say, you know, I, I really believe that the greatest thing that I can find in life is true love. And I said, oh, <laughs> let me tell you about true love. I began to walk her through. The four fundamental questions that everybody on this earth has. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where did I come from? Meaning, why am I here? Morality, who defines for me right and wrong? Who? Is it the Buddhists or the Muslims? Who defines what is right and wrong? And then destiny, where am I going after I die? And I began to just talk to her about the gospel. And she looked at me and she said, are you, are you like, like one of them people like Benny Hinn? I said, no. <laughs> no. No. I'm not. And she said, I've never, she said, this is the first time I have ever heard the story of the gospel. I told her the whole story, the whole narrative of what we're getting ready to experience this weekend. And, and this, this lady, she's from Amsterdam, she's from the Netherlands. She wasn't Egyptian. She said, I've never heard, I've never ever heard. And by the time we got, I talked to her for eight hours, believe me, I can do it. I talked to her for eight hours. And by the time we got to the, about to land, Tears filling her eyes because she'd never heard such a love. I said, you can find a man and he's gonna, he will never fulfill the, that, that void in your heart. Only comes from your creator. And so people without hope, just like Ephesians chapter 2 verses 12, without hope. And without God in the world. And then Romans chapter 5 and verses 8. But God showed, us, showed this, his love for us that in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Think about the implications of that. The people that are in Egypt, the people that are in, in wherever they are, in the middle of the world. And I've been in so many places and I travel through. Now, I'll never forget the first time I went into Myanmar. The first time. We're staying in a town called Cheng Tung. And we, we had to stay in a hotel. We're not allowed to stay with anybody. Just law. 
And so we stayed in this, this uh, hotel, and I'll never forget coming out the first morning, and we, we would ride this thing called the tuk-tuk. Anyone know what a tuk-tuk is? Tuk-tuk is like a, <laughs> it's like a, uh, it's like a three-wheeler. You remember the big red Honda three-wheelers that got buried because they were killing people? You remember that? It was like, it's like one of those, but it's extended, and they got this box on the back, you just sit in the back. So we would get in this little box on the back of this three-wheeler and go to the orphanage and go to the church where we were preaching. I'll never forget. It's etched into my mind. I remember coming through a roundabout, and right in the middle of that roundabout was a mosque. Not a mosque, a Buddhist temple. And the doors were wide open. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning. And inside of that Buddhist temple was the largest statue of a, a Buddha that I've ever seen in my life. They had to build a building around it. There's no way they got it in. It's just a massive structure. And I could see the glistening gold because their gods were made out of uh, just rock and stone. And they painted gold. And I saw the most beautiful Asian people on their faces at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning worshiping this statue that will never speak to them, will never comfort them, will never offer them a moment of peace. Here, I'm driving by, and the God that created the universe is inside of me. I'm, I, if I could just go in and tell them the truth, because billions have never, ever heard the truth. But Christ, while we were yet sinners, died for us. Thank God. I'm thankful that while I was in my sin, that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, saw my wretched, my, my wretched life, and he paid for my sin and your sin. But it's our responsibility to take the gospel, right? It's the church, our responsibility to carry the gospel out from here and carry it abroad. I love this analogy that I heard one man say, it was in a book I was reading, and he said, you know, the gospel's not one chandelier affixed in one room. It's not one light post on the side of a road illuminating light to just one spot. And he said, no, no, the gospel is a movable light. All of us have a lamp. And you take that light, you take it out from your gathering places, and you take it into the darkness around you. You take it into your schools. You take it into your workplaces, your homes, your, your, your place of business. You take that light with you. And that's the beauty of the gospel. We carry it. It's beautiful, pure light. And we take it into that darkness, and people see the light. And that's what Bessel of Honor Ministries, Ministries is all about. I'll tell you this testimony uh, there's a there's a missionary that I uh, knew of. I didn't know him personally. His name was Mars Plotz. And Mars was a very, very large man, very tall, and uh, he wore his shoe size was wore, it was like size 17, just gigantic feet. He was a missionary. He went into the uh, the nation of Kenya, and being in the nation of Kenya, um, the the Kenyans nicknamed him Bwana Tembo, which means Lord Elephant. Because his feet were so big. Buana Tembo. And he was out preaching amongst the Maasai Mara. He was out preaching amongst the Maasai tribe. And he, he, he went out to this one village and he was proclaiming the gospel. This is, they, they'd never heard truth. They'd never heard the gospel. And this one man came up to him and said, Buana, how long have you known this truth? How long? How long have you known it? And Buana looked at him and said, since I was a little boy, about 12 years old. I heard the gospel, and I gave my life to Jesus. And this African man looked at him and said, why have you been so long in coming? 
Why did it take you so long to get here if you knew it when you were 12? He said, my dad died last year without God, but if you would have come, he would have believed upon us. He would have believed. And so that's our mandate. That's our calling to go into the gospel. What do we do with BOHM? The Lord over the years, and I could, I've been to 40 countries in 17 years, so I've got a lot that I could share. But over the 17 years I've been on the mission field since 19, I was dropped off on an island in the South Pacific called Papua New Guinea by myself. God called me there. An organization sent me and said, have fun. <laughs> and so I learned. I cut my teeth in missions when I was 19. I grew up in three weeks from 19. I was 50 years old. I was an old man. And I, uh, I learned really quickly how to survive. And God dropped me off probably in, in one of the hardest places that a missionary could go, especially alone. I lived in a grass hut in the middle of a village for three years alone. And, you know, I look back on those three years, and it was difficult. But in those three years, God was producing a death in me. It was that dying of my own self that I might do his will. I lived like them. No running water, no power. No toilet, it was just primitive. And I lived in that village. And God taught me the value of humanity. It doesn't matter what nation you come from, how affluent you are, how much money you have. In God's eyes, all of us are valued the same. All of God's creatures are equal in his eyes. Now remember, I've got friends of mine, great friends of mine that still live there in grass huts that have nothing. And it was from there that the Lord birthed a vision in my heart to reach the lost, those that had never heard, take it into places that the, the gospel never really goes. And so, long story short, over my travels, I'm 36, over my travels of 40 nations in all kinds of scenarios and situations and venues of preaching, over all of these years, the Lord has narrowed my vision to two. The first one is one that you've seen on that screen, and that is crusade evangelism in places that I've never heard. Hard places, difficult places to get into. Places that are, are very dangerous. That's my calling. That's where God has called me. To reach those that have never heard the gospel. And the second is orphanages. And that began in Southeast Asia, in the nation of Myanmar, where I found an orphanage that had 37 children in it initially. 31. 31 orphanage, orphans in it initially. I walked in and the children were... Sleeping, their bedding arrangements was pallets, wooden pallets. There was no mattresses, there was no pillows, there was no blankets. It was just 31 kids on pallets, no mosquito nets. And I asked Koang, my orphanage director, I said, Koang, how much money do you have to, to take care of these 31 children? He said, I've got $120 a month to feed them. He said, so we just feed them rice. And the story of that orphanage is he would go up even now as... Matt said he would go up into the mountains and preach the gospel, and he would see children, little children that had no parents, orphaned, abandoned. And we found recently, about a year ago, we found three little boys, three little boys, one 10 years old. I got three little boys right here. They're my, my three kids right with me. Three little boys, one 10-year-old, and two twin five-year-old boys. Their parents died of opioid overdose. A curse. They look upon that situation in their culture as a curse. And they, nobody wanted anything to do with them. So this 10-year-old little boy was the sole provider for his 5-year-old brothers living in squalor in the middle of nowhere. The 5-year-old boys had polio. They couldn't walk. And Kuang went and found 
some distant relative and said, what is going on with these children? They said, we want nothing to do with them. They're a curse to our village. And he said, I will take them on, on one stipulation, that you never come looking for them again. And so he took them from that, from that village. And all this, the testimony is just incredible. How that, that's so malnourished and just through the love of God. You see, you can, I've come to this in my life. You can preach and preach and preach and preach until you're blue in the face. You can preach. You can have preached everywhere. But until you show the love of God, until you, you couple that with compassion, you've got to take that and show forth the love of God. And so we do. We have two orphanages in Southeast Asia, in the nation of Myanmar, one in the city of Keng Tung, another in the city of Kakulek. We just bought another piece of land in Keng Tung to build another um, that we might separate one of our orphanages between boys and girls. It's a, just a tremendous testimony. We just finished buying one, a piece of land there. And then we also have an, a, a piece of land that we bought in Kenya. We do a lot of work out of the nation of Kenya because my crusade director is from Kenya. And so that's really our, our home base. And so in that, we have, we're, we're hopefully in the next year, year and a half, we'll have the orphanage in Kenya up, built and running. And uh, maybe if all of the restrictions end, anybody want to come on a missions trip? Because I'd love to take you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to Kenya. We'll build an orphanage. Amen. Um, but uh, our, our whole vision is reaching the lost and loving those that are abandoned. And that's our mission statement. And uh, the Lord has added uh, incredible people to our team. The people that you saw on the video, our team members um, here in the United States that just kind of undergird all of this. And help us to, um, uh, so that I don't carry it all by myself. And co-evangelists and just videographers. And the Lord is just building a team. And it's my heart's desire to uh, impact the world uh, with the gospel. And I, I'll close with this story. Um, uh, and I could share so many stories. My father-in-law told me a story years ago about a, um, a little boy who was walking on the beach. Like most of you just did when you come back from spring break, you walk on the beach, and he's walking on the beach, and the waves had caught and carried thousands of starfish and had washed them ashore, thousands of them, and this little boy um, was walking along the beach, and he saw all these starfish musicians, if you would return, uh, he, he, he saw all these starfish, and they were, the tide was low, and they were going to dry out, they are going to die, and so this little boy was there, and he would go down, reach down and pick up a, a starfish and take it and throw it as hard as he could until it hit the water. And he'd pick up another one as fast as he could, throwing these starfish back in the ocean so that they didn't dry out. This old man came up while he was walking on the beach looking at this little boy. He said, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm saving the starfish. And the older gentleman looked at him and said, don't you, don't you know that you'll never put a dent in all of these starfish? You'll never be able to reach them all. The little boy looked at him. He reached down and picked up another one. He said, I know. He said, but it'll sure mean the world to this one. Phew. And so we might not be able to reach the whole world, but we can do our part. Amen. Stand with me, if you would. Not all of us are called to get on airplanes and trains and buses and automobiles and crisscross jungles and foreign landscapes to bring people the gospel, but all of us are called to be a part of missions. 
None of us are exempt. None of us. If you're a born-again believer, not one of you here under the sound of my voice is exempt from the Great Commission. Right here in our own nation, it's crumbling underneath our feet. The very foundation of this nation is falling apart. And we point our finger at policy, and we point our finger at at government, and we pull our, point our finger at all of these issues, when the, the undermining real issue is the absence of the Word of God. That's the reason why this nation's fallen. So we have a mission field, right here. Johnson City, Elizabethton, Jonesboro, Bristol, Kingsport, wherever you're from, your high school, your place of business, people it's unbelievable. You know, we live in the Bible Belt, and it's truly incredible how you talk to people, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved. God went to church one time. But they don't understand the, the essence of truth. They don't know what the gospel is all about. So be a light. Take that light, that movable light, into the highways, into the byways. If you have an opportunity to go on a missions trip, I know it's a scary world, but truly it's not that scary. The media is a bunch of liars. It's really, it's really not that bad. You'll find people on the other side just like you that are hurting and broken, looking for truth, looking for reality. And I've found some of the greatest friends in my life live on the other side of the world. We share so many similarities, all of us. And so it's our responsibility as a body to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. What I'd like to do tonight as we close, I know that the uh, the children are, teachers are probably ready to pull their hair out. If you say, Stephen, I want to be a part of missions. I'm not talking about just UHM. You guys support us. You have tremendous support of us. If you say, I want to do more. I, I want my life to count. That's been my heart's cry since I first found the Lord. Lord, I don't want to just be another blip on the radar. Make my life worth something. Something eternal. Beyond all the materialism and all the things that we gather to ourselves. God, for eternity, make my life count. If that's you, I want you to just join me around here. Would you come and just stand here? Is that okay? As this church, as a body, say, I want to make a difference. We're just going to pray together. Can we do that? Will you move out from where you are? If you feel comfortable. I want to make a difference. That's all I'm asking you. I just want to make a difference. I don't want to get up every single day, the normal nine to five grind, and spend my whole life, because I've seen it on both ends. You go to funerals and you do funerals, and you see life at that end, and you see life on this end, and you say, Lord, Truly, what is life about? What's the eternal purpose of my life? And the resounding answer is the gospel. It's the gospel. It's dedicating your life into changing someone else. Taking that light and finding somebody that's dead and just letting that light illuminate their path. Let's pray. Can we close our eyes? Father, I'm just so thankful, Lord, for this honor to be here at Grace Meadows. I thank you, Jesus, for these people 
They have been such a tremendous blessing in my life. I might not know them all, but God, they've been a blessing. They've helped us around the world. And Father, I pray right now as they present themselves, I ask you, Lord, that you would do a work in their life. That tonight, the Wednesday before Easter Sunday, that we would get a a glimpse, a realization of our eternal purpose in Christ. That we would take a look at the Great Commission and say, if I cannot go, I will send purposely. I will send. I will be a part of it in some way. Father, I pray right now over every single person that's under the sound of my voice. I ask you, Lord, that you do a strong work, a convicting work in their life. And Father, there's their sphere of influence where they are, where they go, where I, I will never go. God, that they would be a burning light, that people look at them and say, what's different about you? There's something different. The world is falling apart, but yet you're full of life. What is it? And God, may that life become contagious. I ask you, Lord, that you'd open doors of witness, doors of opportunity, God, for these people to witness, to pour out of themselves, God, in their homes, their place of work, their place of work, Lord, I just, I ask you over our children that are growing up right now in a dark, dark, dark generation. God, may we so impregnate them with truth. May we so implant the word of God in them that darkness will never overpower the gospel that's in them. I ask you, Lord, right now over this body, that you'd bless them over and abundantly, Lord, as they restart and re relaunch this church. I pray, God, that it busts at the seams because of their dedication to missions. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just worship. Thank you. Uh, let's just worship together. Amen. I'm not going to sing the rest.